I always joke that I've heard people call um, black British people African-American. And I'm like, um, that's not what the term is. <laughs> At How Music Charts, we try to bring a new perspective to the music business. And today that perspective is from me. I'm Christina Sazawa, Global Marketing Director of Data and Insights at Warner Music Group. I was also the first guest on this podcast back in December 2019, which at this point seems about 100 years ago. In honor of UK Black History Month, I've taken over today's episode with a different take on music data. In addition to my day job, I'm also a co-chair of Warner Music Group UK's BAME Employee Research Group, The Link. As a Nigerian-American working in the UK music industry, I'm committed to a diverse and equitable music business and the power that data can bring to any conversation. Given that context, and that I am not from the UK, I'm thrilled to introduce today's guests, Paulette Long and Emil Talwar. Paulette has served as Deputy Chair for the UK Music Diversity Task Force since 2016, while Emil has served as Chair since 2019. With decades of music industry experience between Paulette and Emil spanning publishing, arts education, marketing, PR, artist management, and even running record shops, they have both been recognized under the most excellent order of the British Empire by the Queen for their enduring contributions to the UK's cultural industries. While we could speak for hours about their accomplishments, today we are focused on their latest one, the 2020 UK Music Diversity Report, which by the time you hear this will be available online. Please see the podcast notes for the links. In addition to diving into today's report, We'll use our time to discuss the importance of diversity, representation, and accountability to progress the industry and create the culture we want to see within our workplaces and around the world. So let's get into it. Please welcome to How Music Charts podcast, Paulette Long and Emma Tower. Hiya. Hello, how are you? (laughs) That was Emma, by the way. The really nice, sultry voice is Paulette. (laughs) <laughs> that, was, that, that was a serious, serious in, intro, Christine. Um, I, I, I want that every day, every morning. That's a serious intro. It makes, us, it makes me feel really, really good. In, every in time you enter a room, we'll make that happen. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Are you ready to dive in then? Yeah. Sure. sure. Fantastic. Let's start with you, Paulette. So, Paulette, you spent... The majority of your career in the music publishing, primarily at Westbury Music Publishing, and then eventually at PRS for Music and the PRS Foundation. What initially drew you to publishing in the first place? Okay, so um, I was at Westbury Music Limited for quite a few years and um, was a director there as well. And with regards to PRS um, for Music and PRS Foundation, I was a director of PRS for Music for about eight years. Um, the first black person to sit on the board of directors and also um, a trustee of the PRS and Music Foundation. So just, just popping in and out and adding my my, my, look, my two pennies worth of experience. Um, with regards to music publishing, I was a floater in the music industry. So I started my career in public relations and um, they had a, a, an artist management company there as well that looked after, at the time, the cult and big country. So I started out my, my career doing working in, in rock music um, and they had shared offices. And in those offices, there was a, a lady by the name of Caroline Robertson who had a, a publishing company called Westby Music Limited. And I sort of transitioned. There's a really interesting story in the midst of it, but the boring version is I transitioned from one company to the next um, and stayed, stayed in publishing ever since. So I moved from PR and artist management into, into music publishing. I float and move. 
Well, <laughs> even though you're floating and moving, it seems that you've risen to leadership roles very quickly within all of your previous roles and current roles. Um, how has leadership been a theme in your life? It's really strange. I think looking back, I can see leadership as a theme, but going through it, I was just a hustler. I just had my head down and just kept working and kept working hard. And I really enjoyed the work I was doing. I'm a real people person and it was just brilliant. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a chatterbox. I just chat. I've been chatting since I was at school, getting, getting in trouble for talking too much and having an opinion. And I found that in music publishing, in artist management, in PR, it's all about talking and giving an opinion. So I sort of slotted in quite naturally. So with regards to leadership, it wasn't anything I'm looking to become a board director. I'm aiming for this thing. It, it happened upon me, I think, more because of duration, persistence and, and hard work. So moving on to Ammo, um, almost two decades of your time was spent as a CEO of Punch Records, which has led to the agency becoming a cornerstone of Birmingham's creative quarter, bringing youth development programs and award-winning festivals together through the power of music. Um, given that you kind of began originally an independent record store in 1986, besides selling music, it was a hangout for DJs, MCs, and hip hop heads to form a community. Um, could you talk a bit about those early days? Sure. So um, I'm, I'm completely the opposite to Paulette, um, which is why we get on so well. Uh, I've had one job and, and I've, I've stuck with it. So um, at its core, I shouldn't really be working in the music industry. I, I studied civil engineering and uh, my brother used to manage artists. He managed a guy called Apache Indian years and years ago. And whilst he was um, flying around the world going to uh, reggae sunsplash in Japan and all these really fantastic countries. I was designing doors for prisons and hospitals. Um, I ended up, I wanted a shop. Uh, I, I, I loved music. I loved Motown. I set up Punch Records and, and it was, it was, a, it, it was a moment in time. It was sort of mid nineties. Uh, we're going back to sort of the heyday of bad boy. Uh, Raucous was around, you know, the, the, there was a feeling of, the can-do spirit. Um, the shop was the shop. It was bricks and mortar. I thought I'd end up, you know, selling records for the rest of my life. Uh, a thing called Napster uh, came into uh, play, sort of pre-millennium. Um, new genres of music were coming out through the UK. Uh, UK grime, Dizzy Rascal, uh, you know, post-millennium. Children were making music um, uh, on Sony PlayStation. So th th there was the technology uh, was moving at a pace. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of the record stores and a lot of my colleagues um, uh, went bust in that kind of post-millennium period. Uh, we were fortunate. We started doing work in schools, uh, started doing quite a lot of work in education and music. Uh, and then this new agency came about where we, you know, we do three things. We uh, tour artists. Uh, I run a festival. And then we do quite a lot of work still around uh, public policy, engagement, working with universities, and just looking at music uh, as a career, as a curriculum, and, and how we work with emerging artists. So everything's been quite organic. Uh, it's been through trial and error. Um, I was fortunate enough to make a lot of mistakes at a really, really early age. So um, I'm still making those mistakes now, and I'm still very, very young. Um, um, but, uh, you know, we're happy to be here and, um, you know, we're excited to talk about diversity, especially the work that we're doing with uh, UK Music. That's really great. Um, before do, we you notice how much, do you notice how much longer he spoke? Like, really? No. 
stop, stop already. Stop already. <laughs> it's okay. We have plenty of time today. We're, yeah. we're going to get through it. <laughs> so, um, Ammo, um, just to follow up, thinking about the way things are in the world now with COVID or, and even before COVID, um, the idea of the local music hangout has mostly been erased. Um, what do you see feeling that need for community over the next year um, in, in its absence? Um, so I, I think because space now, because of COVID, is so complex, um, I think musicians will find their, their natural energy. Uh, some of it will be through what we're doing now, the digital arena. But I, I think something will click um, in, in 21 where musicians will find these safe spaces to ultimately uh, not just hang out but make and discuss and have that discourse we were lucky at that moment in time with record stores to have that safe space uh, I, I don't know what that looks like right at this moment in time but I think it's going to happen uh, naturally like most you know positive things that happen around music um, they tend to happen through often through pain and struggle so if you look at the history of some of the greatest music in the world, it's come through, um, you know, pain uh, rather than um, uh, investment. So, yeah, looking forward to that. That's that was my that mother required. We talked that, about that. That was my mother calling me. I'm ever so sorry. That's really cute. <laughs> Paulette. Yes. Before we get into the actual report, um, could you briefly describe the purpose of UK Music as an organization? Um, UK Music is a, it's a membership organisation. It's there as a, a, a body to look at the collective interests of the music industry. So um, some of the organisations that are with them are the Music Producers Field, looking after producers, the Ivers Academy, looking after songwriters, the Music Publishers Association, looking after um, publishers, the Musicians Union, looking after musicians. But it's the whole music industry coming together collectively so that we can lobby as one voice, for example, to government and we can have a look at research and have a look at policies and just do what we can to ensure that the music industry is buoyant and survives any crisis that comes along. And right now we're all working really, really hard to, to make our way through this new this, this COVID season that we're in, the Black Lives movement season that we're in and just to, to become a better industry at the other end. Great. And, and just and just to add to what Paulette said, I think it's done some pretty remarkable things. So in the UK, for instance, um, there, there's legislation called Agent for Change, which is all about making sure large developers don't um, eradicate small venues. And UK Music as a lobbying company were instrumental uh, in that changes in legislation. So um, it, it's a really bizarre organisation because not that many people know about it, but uh, it does a lot of the political uh, uh, lobbying, the, the writing of white papers and, and really changing that core legislation that is really needed to protect artists, to protect the total ecosystem and make sure that music thrives um, uh, across the barrage of new things that are happening in the world. That hey. it does. On top of that, could you explain um, what's the UK Music Diversity Task Force and how is that stemmed from the UK Music Mission? Sure. So, um, Paulette, because 
Um, she's she's a she's wiser than me. She can probably tell you a little bit about the history, and then perhaps I'll I'll bring you into 2019, 2020. Yeah. Okay. So the the task force came into existence in 20, in 2016, but before that, I was part of a, a small focus group of um, friends that got together looking at um, diversity in music and media. And it was just a group of us that had worked in the music industry, a little bit disgruntled and just wanting to make things better with regards to diversity. So, um, you know, there were people like um, Keith Harris, Jackie Davidson, Benjamin Mahoney, um, you know, a few of us getting together, just what can we do to bring about change? Um, Remy Harris. And one of the things that we did was to come up with a, a, a diversity charter. And we created this charter. So this small focus group created this charter and we brought the charter to the music industry and said, music industry, you haven't got a diversity charter. We brought it to UK Music. We think you should sign up to this charter because there isn't one. We're looking at other sectors who have one, but we haven't got anything and we think we should. And it was adopted by UK Music, this charter that we put together, and it was signed up by the members of UK Music at that time. Um, and unfortunately, as happens with some of these charters, it fell into the long grass for a moment. It just went, you know, everybody's really excited. Let's sign up to this. Yes, this is what we're going to do. And then nothing. And there was a, a season of nothing. A couple of organizations um, came back and said, uh, PPL in particular said, we need to do something about this. We've signed the charter. We want to work it. It was then regalvanized. And on the back of that, the diversity task force was born. That's a short, really, really well-framed, um, non-political version of the story. <laughs> so the Diversity Task Force was there to look at diversity within the music industry. And it was there to do it from a data perspective, headed by um, Keith Harris, who was a chair at the time. Um, and I think, it, it, you know, it, it's, it has served a brilliant purpose with regards to putting numbers and statistics into an arena that wasn't, wasn't looked at. Nobody had bothered, nobody had taken the time out. And from there, we're on to survey number three, and we've built a really good database of information that we can now look back on and now starting working on what do we do to bring about changes in areas that we think there's an issue. And the, the two key areas that we're looking at and still continue to focus on is gender and ethnicity. And I can get Ammo to, to speak about it from there. Yeah, and, and I think we, sh we, sh we should really make sure that um, the history of the, the task force, it, it's really important because um, obviously 2020 has been a phenomenal year for uh, reflective practice, uh, 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 representational parity, uh, analysis, uh, uh, but because this task force has been set up for such a long time, we were all we were already used to looking at data and, uh, you know, and holding people to account. Um, uh, I think the mission statement of the, the task force is really important. So, uh, you know, it was, it's there to collectively improve equality and diversity across the, the music industry uh, workforce uh, uh, with a sharp focus on gender and race. So ultimately we're not, negating all the other protected characteristics that we ultimately care about. But we needed a bit of a, a focal point. And, and through the legacy of Keith Paulette, uh, I, I took on board the, the chairmanship role uh, last year, funny enough. And, and it was interesting because for me coming in, uh, the diversity task force, it, it didn't feel diverse. 
to be uh, totally honest. It, 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 it was great because we had representation from labels and uh, uh, all the trade bodies, a lot of HR uh, uh, directors because obviously it was about change but we wanted to make it more diverse from a, a socio-economic perspective uh, from, from, from a race perspective as well and gender so we, we made some quite quick changes and, and uh, within the first six months and you can do that because if you're new to uh, a task force or if you're not from London, it really helps. Um, and, and so we made those changes really quickly <laughs> before you become part and parcel of uh, uh, the group as such. Uh, and, and also uh, this year, uh, as you're aware, it's been an astronomical year for uh, reflective practice. Um, I, I wanted to put some stats and facts to it. So just for your global listeners, uh, the UK music industry is a 5.2 billion pound industry. Uh, so, so it's essential that we have representation and we're reflective of the cities and the towns that we live in. Um, there's approximately 190,000 people that work within the UK workforce. So, so, so we want to ensure that this, this thing that we call equality, uh, diversity, inclusion, it's really uh, echoed across the, the totality of the ecosystem rather than just labels or just uh, uh, DSPs. Uh, and, and so me and Paulette, uh, through her uh, experience and, and her, you know, her guidance uh, was essential for me to make sure that we could really make that sh real sharp change to make sure that uh, when the survey came out, it was ready for the year 2020. So Paulette, before we dive into 2020, um, since you were there in 2016, I would love to understand what was that first time around like? What, what was the process? Um, How did you decide to create the report? Um, and especially what was the industry reception like the first time around? Um, and I love the transition to how that's changed now that we're going on the third one. Oh, okay. There's quite a few things in there, Christine. I'll see. <laughs> I'll see if I can get an O. I was like, all right, I got it, I got it. Oh, she's adding more. All right, I got that, I got that. Okay, there's a bit more. Oh, all right. So let me let me be give careful. you the vibe. Let me give you the vibe. <laughs> so, well, let be careful because she asked like eight questions in one question. So I know, I've, it's brilliant. I've noticed that as well, so just be careful. Just like, I, I almost had it and I thought, no, I've lost it. Oh, my gosh. Okay, so basically, my, my answer to that is... Um, it was really good when the task force got together. It was good to have a task force looking at data. Um, I think the response to the diversity survey the first year was good, but it has improved since then. And um, from what I understand now, the, I mean, the figures that we have now with regards to the people that have taken part in the survey, I think we're 33% up. Oh, Ammo, I gave a statistic. Did yeah. you hear me give numbers? I know, oh, wow. I know. Yeah, I know, all by myself. So I think we're 33% <laughs> up. And I think the appetite that the sector has now for doing this, for getting the data, is, is unbelievable. It's really quite incredible. People want to bring about change. They want to know what it is they want to do and how they're going to do it. So I'm going to try and go back a little bit to your question. Um, when AMO came in, we, you know, jigged the task force up a bit and it feels really robust. It feels really tight. It feels as if we have the right members on it and we're all working really hard now heads down just to see what we can do to marry the data up to 
actions. I think the first two years, the first two, the four years, the first two surveys, that was just about building. It's difficult to, you know, report number two to report number one to say anything if you haven't got anything to back it up. You, we couldn't go back. So we literally had to wait until we did the survey the second time. Then we could have a look at the data and have a look at comparisons. And now that we're in the third one, it, we've got even more ammunition to compare and to say, okay, now we can see the trajectory here. This is good or this isn't good. What are we going to do now? And I think now's a brilliant time. We've sort of had head down a little bit, just releasing some bits. But I think this year we're going to go. We're going to go for it. Release as much information as possible because we now want action. That is the perfect segue to talk about the 2020 report. Um, I know it is just coming out. I would love for Ammo, can you set the stage? Tell us where are we now in 2020 when it comes to this diversity report and diversity in the music industry? Sure. So, so, so you know, I think context is really, really important. Uh, 2020, um, a lot's happened. Um, you know, am I even allowed to say COVID-19? Um, uh, am I allowed to say Brexit uh, in the UK? Um, so, so uh, you know, obviously, um, uh, George Floyd, the whole uh, uh, accelerated approach around Black Lives Matter, the influence it's had on UK uh, 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 PLC, um, it, 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 you know, uh, statues were being dismantled. So, again, for your global audience, um, we had, there was a movement of eradicating slave owners and any statues that were connected to slavery, Edward Colston, Rhodes Mafool. Um, we were un, under this unprecedented uh, oh, movement. Oh no, Ammo, you said the U word. Oh, sorry, I'm sorry. I don't, I don't, I didn't meant to, I wasn't meant to say that, but you know what I mean. Uh, and, and so we had to really listen and, and take on board what's going on uh, how this is going to affect our survey before we even get to the report. And, and so um, we, we did a lot of listening in, in those early periods, and, and, and that was really important. Um, we, can, we can collect data, and, 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 that, and that's really important. But ultimately, data means nothing without a serious sense of lived experience, the quality, qualitative versus the quantitative and ultimately if we don't triangulate that amount of information and do it respectfully then we have no answers so we can't look at data uh, just by itself but we can't also just look at lived experience by itself we have to merge the two together and I think that's what uh, UK Music uh, the task force uh, has done uh, and done with just that respect, but ultimately the, the transparency. So again, you can, for your colleagues, you can go to the UK Music website and you can, you can have a look at the report that's come out, but we were 33% up on 2018, which is, uh, for us, it, you know, that was great. It was perhaps inevitable because of the year. Um, we were, we were 22 22% of that information that came through the data was uh, respectfully from diverse communities, including black, Asian, and other ethnic minorities. It was 4.5% up on 2018. So you can see there's, there was a bit of a jump. 2018, there was 18% that 
you know, said, hey, I'm from a diverse community, 2020, 22%. Now, that sounds good compared to the national average of uh, diverse people, which is 14%. So the, the, the ONS stats, which is the Office for National Statistics, says in, in the UK, it's 14%. And we've just done a survey that's 22%. So one would think naturally, hey, this is amazing. Uh, what you have to look at is you have to get into the detail and the granular. So if you go to places like London, Manchester, Birmingham, core cities uh, within the UK, um, the diverse communities have a, a slightly bigger representation. It's like more like 40 to 50%. So on one hand, it's good. On the other hand, it's not so good. What's interesting is, if you break that 22% data down uh, it, into its three or four components, 38% of that is of mixed heritage, uh, yeah. 35% is black, and 22% is Asian. So the diversity within the diversity is even more interesting. Now, if we compare that data to, say, 2016, you'd see that the fastest growing diverse community is no longer black or Asian. It's I'll tell you, diverse. mixed race. It's mixed race. It is. Or, or dual, heritage, uh, dual heritage, depending on, you know, what. Uh, so, so, so this and you, what, you know what? You know what, Anna? You stumbled on something. Language. It is, it's it's, it's yes. changing. We're evolving. We're, we're working out what to say and how to say it. And I think sometimes you just have to confidently and boldly be wrong in order to yeah. then be right. <laughs> So, you know, when somebody corrects you, then you just hands up. Sorry about that. But what should I say? Thank you very much. I received that and I go forward that until I'm stopped again on another junction. <laughs> exactly. And, and language for us, it's always it's always evolving. It's always changing. And, and you know, um, as long as we say it respectfully and, and say it with a sense of uh, authenticity, uh, if I'm saying something wrong, uh, and I say this regularly, Paulette is the first person to jump down my throat. Um, jump? That's, that's not nice. <laughs> I don't jump. I walk, okay. I walk gracefully. Walk gracefully, I should say. Walk gracefully. <laughs> so, 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 so coming back to the, the, the data, which I think is really important. And again, you can refer back to the report. Um, uh, so we, we, we broke down into sort of six components, ethnicity and age, gender and age, ethnicity and gender, gender and career. And, and then we looked at some disparity around uh, um, income, which is the biggest sh shock. Uh, ethnicity and age. So, you know, the, again, uh, it, it, it's pretty standard stuff. You know, we have the largest concentration in that 16 to 24-year-old bracket. 30% of the concentration is there. So, you know, we know that, you know, ethnic minorities, the startup is, it looks quite good, but it fades down. Um, it's the same with gender and age. The main representation uh, uh, from is 16 to 24 uh, uh, and we know that there's a problem around retention for women, especially the older uh, uh, women become. So, uh, you know, these are some headline stuff. Uh, ethnicity and career is really interesting. Um, it starts off at 40% and it goes down 20%, which basically means the more senior you get, the lower it becomes if you're from a diverse community. And... and Sorry, Paula. No, no, just this also, the, the, the apprentice stroke intern sector and how high the numbers are there. 
Um, and the fact that that doesn't that doesn't move up. And I think it's been the same over the last on all three reports. There's something that happens entry level in the in the UK work in the music industry is really good and it's getting better. But that we still have an issue moving beyond entry level. And I think it's something that we still need to, to seriously look at and address. Absolutely. And then things like uh, ethnic minorities are ultimately underrepresented at senior jobs. Now, uh, and, and then, you know, if you, if you look at the intersectionality between, say, gender and race, uh, you know, you're, you're dealing with some quite, quite serious stumbling blocks. Now, if we just pause for one minute, if we just go back, we know that the stats are becoming better. So uh, in terms of uh, diverse communities entering the music industry, it's becoming better. The data is telling us, and even there's there's been a slight percentage, there's been a slight change in terms of um, women and and the music industry. But we know that there are major problems around uh, things that we care about, uh, and and so ultimately, the totality of all that data has highlighted some of the issues. Paulette's uh, got. A lived experience of intersectionality. She's she's black. She's woman. She works in publishing. You know, but <laughs> other areas as well. Uh, so, so, so there's layers of uh, uh, blocks, and, and and our job is to through the data unpack those layers. That's that's the first phase. Mm-hmm. The second part was just as important. Uh, it was the, our lived experience. Paulette, do you want to talk a little bit about that? I think you know, I think one of the things that was quite different for me for this report was the conversations that we were having whilst the sur- before the survey surveys put put out whilst it was put whilst it was out and um, you know when they put the report together, we were speaking to people in a way that we've never spoken before. We were having discussions. We were going to all the member organisations to to share, and I think that helped with the stats that helped with the numbers and it, it, I think it also helps to feed into what are we going to do so at the time when the report was about to come out everybody's experience of um, the black life was heightened um, in a way that it's in, in a way that we've never seen before and I think that really goes towards the outcomes that we're going to see and I hope we're going to continue to see so looking at it from a lived experience, you know, being the, the I was the first um, black person to sit on the board of the Music Publishers Association in, a, in its 123 year history at that time. I was the first black person to sit on our UK, the UK um, Collection Society, Performing Rights Society, the first woman and black person to be the deputy chair of that organisation. So a few firsts. And I think uh, for me, at every point, I was like, you're joking. Surely there must be somebody else in the books. What, you know, this doesn't, it doesn't make sense. Why is this the case? And I think what was even more shocking for me was when I, if I was to do a 360 spin, I couldn't see who could potentially come up behind me. Where, where are they? It was systemic. I managed to work my way up and through, head down, working hard, hustling. But I couldn't see who my replacement would be. And I, I still I still see that there is a big issue there. So my lived experience is seeing a lot of really talented people fall by the wayside in the ways the statistics show. So coming through 
you know, in the sort of 80s and 90s, there was a trailer load of us working in the industry and by us, Black, Asian, minority, ethnic, working in the industry, doing our hustle. Right now, we can count, we, we're, we're all in the same room together, sitting down and talking to have a look at what we can do because that's, that's what's left for those that are still in the UK. And, and right now, that lived experience for me needs to change. And I keep saying to people, we are looking at diversity. We're looking at bringing about change. And I haven't got another 10 years. I haven't got time for anything too long. I'm, I've had it. So anything that's not talking about legacy, because that's the most important thing for me, legacy, what's going to happen and what change is going to be brought about that's going to still be there when I'm gone. And if it's not quick, quick. I can't, you can't trouble me. So don't talk to me about interns where we've got to wait for 15 years to see if by chance they make it through the system. I want to know what you're going to do now. So my lived experience having been through it is let's not, let's not continue the conversation without action. And for the first time in my career, I'm really sensing that things could potentially change. Whilst obviously the backdrop of, um, the data versus lived experience versus the roundtables. And we were allowed to just have a look at that in the round and go, that's fine now. We were also, we were really conscious that we just didn't want to put out another report because the CB, there's been a lot of reports. So, so I want to give you one example. The CBI put out a report. Uh, uh, it was called um, Race Ratio and it was following the Parker Review. So the CBI are a, a big trade body that looks at business. And the Parker Review gave the FTSE 100 companies in the UK up to 2021 to sort out diverse governance. They just said one person from a diverse community to be on your board. And unfortunately, it's failed because nearly 40% of them still don't. Now, I, I saw that stat and I thought, I said to Paul, I said, we can't be like that. We have to have something that's robust. At that moment, we didn't really know what it was. So we started having these conversations like, what is the difference? What is our position of difference? Paulette spoke about these cycles of um, saying stuff, but no one holding anybody to account, no decision-making, no strategy. So, you know, uh, and out of all this stuff, we came out with an action plan, which ended up being called the 10-point plan. I love that title. Uh, <laughs> and you can do your own research on where that 10-point plan came from, but... Uh, uh, and those in America will know uh, there's many 10-point plans, but there's one in particular that holds a lot of weight to the black community uh, uh, that came from the 70s. Um, and, and we wanted it to be transformational, uh, transformational, uh, really respectful. But ultimately, it, it has to be data-driven. Uh, it has to be um, metrics it, there has to be accountability and we have to be able to look at it every year to show two big things, two major things. What's the progress? What's the impact? So whatever we put in that 10-point plan, uh, and it was a 20-point plan because, you know, Paulette's got like, she always wants to put like uh, uh, different layers of like, she has so many requests. <laughs> um, I'm, the, I'm um, the editing queen. I've got to stop him, I tell you. Just like, all right, Amo, I don't know if I even read that word. What, I could, no. what is that word? Take it out. Uh, 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 but, but the thing was, if it has 
too, if it doesn't have impact and, and, and it doesn't show progress, then we, we have failed. We we're about to fail. So we had to, uh, and these were really serious conversations we're having uh, whilst everything else was going on. So we started devising things, uh, you know, what's really important at the moment. And we had to make sure the 10 point plan was linked directly to the data, the lived experience and the round table discussions. And, that, yeah. and, and, and out of that 10 point plan, uh, and, and again, you can refer back, it's on page, um, 20 yes. and 21 of the report yeah but we'll, we'll go through some parts you know um, do you want to start off Paulette? oh are we are we speaking about the 10-point plan we could be if you want to okay <laughs> so i think one of the one of the, one of, a quick win so let me give you a quick win and this is something that the the music industry um started on the back of black lives matter and that was to um dismantle the term urban so People, there are there are different stories as to why urban came about, and I understand that how we use urban in the UK and what it means here is potentially quite different to how it's used and what it means in the USA. But we we no longer want it to be categorised under that banner. We wanted to start to look at the real genres that were hiding somewhere un, underneath, lurking away, and not be banded together in this group that grouping that again makes it look as if people are really working hard and they've re got a really good urban sector when actually they don't. The numbers look good, but when you s separate things out, they're not good at all. And it's about being able to talk about black music again, being able to talk about R&B and soul and reggae, looking at the actual genres with pride. And we needed to, we needed to do that. So for example, that's something that the whole sector said, we're gonna lose the term urban. We're not using it anymore. Let's start to look at genres. And having been a trustee of um, you know, PRS Music Foundation for 10 years, so it's a funding body that gives funds to artists to continue to develop their career. It's much better for me to see the genres broken down as opposed to just an urban tag. Now I can have a look and see, are we really supporting reggae? Are we really supporting gospel? Are we, are we supporting British soul music? It's much easier to actually see what we're doing as opposed to having it grouped in a term and nobody really knows the real detail. So that's one thing that we've removed. And, and, and you know, stuff that came out of the uh, roundtable discussions, there's, there's an acronym that we use in the UK called BAME. Uh, uh, and and it, it's a government term. And um, uh, it, we just were really, really hugely frustrated with, with the acronym. Um, you know, it, it, it's a job lot. So, you know, the, the B obviously in in BAME, uh, it, it, if you break it down uh, uh, um, in the 70s, if you look at the history of where the acronym came from, in the 70s, it was um, uh, black was used as a political sense rather than from a uh, from an ethnic uh, uh, perspective. And, and so the, the, there was a, a movement and it was an anti-racist movement. And it was, a, uh, so, you know, there was, there was, there was the Southall Black Sisters, the Indian Workers Association. And, and this is where the notion of black came from. Uh, it, it was political. It was meant from a political sense. Um, and, and, and then as we move on, um, people, especially in the UK, especially government agencies, they were, they didn't like the word black. So they said, actually, it's more than that. It's about minority communities. And it became BME, 
which is black uh, and minority communities. And, and then uh, it changed again because uh, obviously the Asian community is saying, well, hey, uh, we're, we're not black, uh, we're Asian. So, you know, I'm Asian, uh, uh, Paulette's black, and we're comfortable with saying those words. Yeah. Um, uh, 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 and it's okay to say those words. Uh, 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 but then it became this holding ground for anybody that had any type of discrimination, including people like the, uh, the traveller community or uh, the Roma community. And, and so suddenly it became this whole encompassing thing. And obviously we live in a global society. Uh, so, you know, the black could mean anything from St. Lucian to Ethiopian. Uh, <laughs> The Asian could be anything from Chinese to Pakistani, uh, uh, you know, and, and so it's a hugely complex uh, acronym. And um, again, I, I thought it was important to explain that because um, we, we're saying no more. Start saying black, start saying Asian, start saying diverse communities, start saying ethnic minorities, say, start, you know, being a little bit more granular around who you're talking about. Um, um, that was another, you know, again, part of the 10-point plan. Um, Paulette's going to talk about that's really about good we've only managed to talk about one point because those two points were in the same one point which is great so we're not yeah. we're not giving too much away yet can I ask you a quick question what is your thought on the term black music you've just said it there what I find the term black music deeply offensive um, just deeply yeah. offensive I hate that term. Um, I understand why people um, want to switch their title from urban. I mean, I don't particularly, I, I actually don't really have a strong opinion about urban. I have a much stronger opinion about, about black music because I feel that black music implies that there's only one way to be black because when people say black music, they're not talking about rock and roll. They say black, you know, we know rock music is derivative of rock, of a, um, rock and roll is derivative of black music, but they're not speaking about that. They're not speaking about pop music. They're talking about hip hop, rap, um, R&B. Uh, maybe so. And, and do you think it's different in the UK versus the US? I, Is that a US perspective that you're talking to me about? I mean, I, I've spent most of my life in the US. I've only been in the UK. I've only been in um, Europe for about a little under four years now. Um, and so I'm very much speaking from a US perspective when it comes to that. Actually, yeah. Um, yeah. But I don't, from, from my perspective of UK black music as well, at no point have I ever heard anyone talk about black music in the UK and ever be talking about rock or even pop music. Um, I think it's very specific. I think it's, a, I think it's just another colloquialism for urban. Um, and I would rather us, like you mentioned in the talk, talk about rap and hip hop and soul and R&B and all those different things. Because when we say black music, it's also erasure in the other side of things. Not that, I mean, it's less of an issue, but like, where do you put an artist like Post Malone if all of a sudden you say you work black music? Like, Pe not black people are making rap music. What about all of our Latin artists that are create that are doing um, that are creating rap music? So I think it's a all encompassing term that's meant to be more politically correct, but I think it's just kind of erasure of like the full black identity and the full black experience. That's quite what's, what's, full on. Yeah. Yeah, no, 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 no. <laughs> I have a deep. <laughs> we're, we're, we're having these conversations all the time, because uh, obviously. Um, uh, the UK perspective is always a little bit different to the American perspective. And also, uh, in the UK, I think people have spent years and years trying to reclaim black music yeah. uh, uh, and, and, its, uh, and its inertia into urban. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and, 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 you know, so there was black music stores that were encompassing all that. And, mm -hmm. uh, it, it, it's really, really interesting. Um, we're having these conversations all the time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 
and it's completely different ends of the spectrum. Oh yeah, I usually keep my opinions myself about it because I know it's a very polarizing question right now. Um, and I, I yeah. just, I have a very strong opinion about the phrase black music. Do you know what, Christine? I hear what you're saying, and I, I don't disagree with anything you said. But I think from a UK perspective, it's right now we're just being able to see black people, black person. So you wouldn't necessarily look to introduce the whole Africo, Afro, Afrocentric side to it because we've just got to the point where we're saying black. And I think it's the same with regards to your argument. We've moved away from urban and we're able to say black again. Yeah. You're perfectly right, it needs to be broken down, but we have to, in the UK, with the the way that this, the, the, the way the way, the way the system works here, we have to take it in stages. Yeah. So if we could do away with the stage you're speaking about and just have all music um, sort of looked upon equally, I would, I would go where you're going. Yeah. But right now, we have to take that stepping stone down to start reclaiming the term black music, yeah. which for me is a cultural thing. It talks about the history of um, hip hop and grime and drum and bass. It talks about the artists that were left behind and forgotten. It talks about why we can only sign one black female artist and then not another because we haven't got space on the on the label. It talks about the fact that we'd only get a singles deal, we wouldn't get albums deal. It yeah. talks about, it's more black music and people speaking about it makes them think more about we've got to do this differently. But ultimately, I think what you're speaking about, that's what we want to achieve. But there's a stepping stone in between. If we, go, if we try to go from one place, from urban, to where you would like us to be, it's not going to work. Black music is not perfect, but it's a stepping stone down, I think. Yeah, no, I completely yeah. understand. Uh, it, it is interesting. The whole thing is like, um, uh, you know, black music and, and, and um, rec- you know, it's weird. Just some, I don't know, in a lot of parts in the UK, people are scared to say the word black. Yeah. I'm talking about the music industry as well and and people tiptoe and then people get it wrong and people uh, and and so you know there's there's different types of movements so you know people say don't say black say African Caribbean or the diaspora of Africa so you have that argument over there you know like have different forms of different types of it. and 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 our thing is you know we just need more people I mean I as an Asian person who's not a black person, uh, <laughs> uh, 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 who, you know, who's always said, we just have to be okay about saying black. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we have it in the US too. I think that there is still, I don't think it's quite as bad as it is here, but I definitely, I always joke that I've heard people call um, black British people African-American and I'm like, um, that's not <laughs> what the term is. <laughs> and I think they're just so hesitant to say black. They just use whatever term they were, they felt more comfortable <laughs> saying um, and that ended up being the term. Um, so there's definitely question marks as to the way people use language. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what, Christine? I'd rather have the black music debate that you, you know, you'd sparked a lot of topics on that than the urban debate. That's where I am. It's not perfect. It's far from it. But let's talk about black music and why that doesn't work. Let's have that discussion. Then what is urban? Then how can you put dance, industrial dance alongside reggae and call it urban? 
I don't, I don't want that discussion. I yeah. want the intellectual discussion that you were just putting forward. But until we start to use that term, we can't even have that conversation. We're not there yet. Yeah. yeah. I, there's a lot of conversations that. as to we're not there yet and how to like, I'm, I'm like, I'm like you, I'm like, we need to move quicker. Nothing like we, like that's their issue. They haven't gotten there yet. Let's move quicker. But I totally understand like those stepping stones need to be done. I always look, there's a girl on my team um, and she is a, she's mixed. Um, she is queer. Um, and she she oversees our country music component um, for our global marketing team. And I always love that dichotomy and like just like that structure because country music, especially she's working U.S. Canadian country music, and like that is a very much a space that is um, a very white space in the U.S. especially. And seeing this black queer woman working in that space is something that I find truly exciting. Um, and she loves her, she like she loves hip hop. She loves rap. She loves like but she's also working country. And I love seeing that much more than I'm like, oh yeah, so all the black people in the office all work urban and that's how we've decided. Yeah, exactly. And now we've changed all yeah. the titles to black I, music and, I think, and that's what they I work. I think that's a completely different argument. My, where the, the genre that I work within has got nothing to do with black music. I don't see that as to the same thing. I can happily talk about black music to you, but then happily say the band that I've seen perform the most is probably Big Country, which is a Scottish rock band because <laughs> I, you know, I work for their management company. So I've seen more rock, you know, from um, Big Country to Alice Cooper to Frank Zappa to, you know, that's the, that's where I cut my teeth. Yeah. So it's not, you know, somebody might look at me and think reggae, but actually, yeah. it, but there were, you know, in the music industry, I worked on a whole load of other things outside yeah. of reggae. But that to me doesn't make any difference to the term black music. I don't, I don't feel that, I don't even put the two, two together. Black music for me in the UK, it's a culture, it was a way of life, it was a movement, and we're just reclaiming that movement. People probably won't use the term, they'll use the genre, but it's just yeah. about for this season, while they're suggesting we can we can use this we can make some suggestions term again let's yeah. let's let's roll with it i like it amazing so i hope i swayed you just somewhat just for this interim season Christine. i i i am uh, if we want to move from urban i am down for basically whatever we decide so that is definitely a um a step forward in my opinion <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing is right dealing with race is uh, we have to adds humor to this whole conversation because it's, it's such it's so complex and also it's so easy to offend so my thing is don't be offended in these conversations let's just go with it yeah. and, and 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 let's crack you know let's crack some jokes during during the whole process because it you know we've done some presentations christine uh, uh, that uh, have been all white men and it's been so serious <laughs> Uh, it's hard to describe how serious it is and, and oh, yeah. you can hear a pin drop and, and we don't come from that culture we come from cool it's, it's right. okay you know that was you know let's move on uh, yeah. and, and so this this is what we try to do we try to have a bit of fun um, uh, whilst you know we're talking about some serious things so yeah, yeah. hopefully it'll come out okay <laughs> no uh, I mean it's all in the report but th then there's other things that we'll, we can whiz through things like you know we want to know who's accountable and who's responsible because oh two key words it's really important people yeah. just get away with that just switching those two terms around break it down for us Ammo. accountability yeah. and responsibility well well the thing is the problem is if everyone's responsible no one's responsible and and, uh, and and so accountability is really important and accountability puts uh, it puts 
this thing that we want to do called the 10 point plan or this thing around diversity, it puts it on someone's shoulders and it places it in someone's job description. So ultimately, we want to be really clear with every single trade body, with all the kind of musical equipment. So who is, because most CEOs should be ultimately accountable, but sometimes they don't want to hold that accountability because it's hugely complex mm. and they devolve responsibility to a DNI, diversity and inclusion manager or director. So we're just clear. We want to see a matrix of who's responsible and accountable because once we get past responsibility and accountability then we can start looking at investment and strategy but there's no point in putting all this energy around data lived experience and all the work that's happened in 2020 if we don't know where it all sits and how it all ties in and, and again and so, you know as, as Amo's saying just 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 one, one more time to reiterate i think the whole music industry is responsible for diversity to a certain extent in order for change to come about but but who, who's at the top? Who is accountable? It's not always HR. It's not always the DNI person. I think it needs to be the CEO. And the, the times that I've seen organizations change is when that accountability sits in the hands of the person at the top. And we just need a chart that says, these are all the responsible parties, but that's the person that's accountable. I would love to talk about that. Let's talk about that a bit more, actually. Thinking about when you said you've when you've seen progress, it's because the CEO has really been at the helm, um, being held accountable for it. Let's talk about this report in terms of positive progress we've made. What has improved from 2018 to now? What is some of some of the things that are motivating that you're that are hopeful that you've seen for this new report? So, so, so I mean, there's 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 a general shift around representation. Uh, so as I said to you before, there, there's more diverse people coming into the music industry and holding. Uh, so the data shows you it's getting a bit better. The problem is, is we need it to be better quicker. Uh, there, uh, and, and it's the same with uh, gender and 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 and, uh, and and there's other things that we added within the questions that we can really analyze so things like social mobility or class I should say uh, is a really big thing in the UK so how do we move uh, how do we move ultimately more working class people into positions of influence and power in the music industry because often uh, taking internships in certain companies uh, you need the help of mum and dad that's not always readily available if you're from uh, a, a, a kind of semi-working class background there's been uh, there's been shifts around um you know the, the middle but there's there's a bit of a block in the middle you know so that it, it, it's moved everything's moving in the right direction uh, you know, we mustn't say, we mustn't just talk about the negative parts of what's going on in the music. There's some really strong stuff, for instance, things like boards are changing. So if you look recently at major major changes, PPR have changed their board. Yeah. Uh, the, Brits, the Brits have, the BPI have. Yeah, uh, yeah. L labels, you know, Warners have just bought, you know, Hip Hop DX, which is a platform. Uh, uh, it's a global platform. Atlantic have had serious uh, uh, changes around their senior exec, senior positions. Motown have just resurrected themselves and they've had uh, new, new people entering the music industry. Polydor, Warner Chapel, uh, and also not just labels that are quite 
well known. Uh, I think it's really important to talk about organisations that sit perhaps within the layer underneath labels that emerging. So if you look at, say, organisations, People Dem in Margate, uh, Saffron in Bristol, uh, Lymph in Liverpool, um, you know, these organisations, TPG in Manchester, Tin Arts in Coventry, they're all at the helm. They're at that emerging stage, connecting emerging artists to studios, to record labels. So the ecosystem is moving in that right direction and the data is you know saying that and also if we look at uh, conversations that so many of the larger organizations within the music industry are now setting up their own internal diversity groups where staff are, are being able to have, have been able to speak about their lived experiences talk about things that they think need to change in the organ in the organization and i think all those varying conversations are just helping to bring about a broader awareness that will support the 10-point plan. So, you know, I, I, I speak on um, some of these, some of these um, new committees that are within some of these organisations, and the sound from most of them is the same. How do we, as, as a black person, do I get into the, I mean, I'm in the industry, I'm working in this job, but I can't see anybody that looks like me at the top. I, I, it, feels as if, it feels as if there's a glass ceiling. How do we get beyond that? How do we bring about change? How do we get people to understand who we are? You know, a lot of the conversations are the same. And I think the 10-point plan underpins the discussions. So with the discussions that are happening, with what UK Music is doing, with the 10-point plan and with the results of data we have for the survey, it really feels with Black Lives Matter, with COVID changing, changing people's lives and you know, within industry, we're having to think about pivoting. This is a real time for massive changes. And I think on the, on the, on the outside of this, my hope is that we really do, we really do make a difference. A, a proper, a systemic difference. Systemic is something yeah. else. I'm sure Amo can speak a bit about that because we have to dig down deep to sort some of that stuff out. But dig down, we will. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think systemic is a word that's been used quite a lot. And I think sometimes we have to break down ultimately what systemic means, perhaps to us as individuals, but also to us as a music industry. Uh, so for me, there's always there's, there's four layers to the the the, the, the systems change. So uh, uh, you know the, the first layer is the institutional. So we in the UK. Most people know or have heard of institutional racism, primarily because of the McPherson report uh, through the death of uh, Stephen Lawrence. And so the institution is often, it's about a, a company. Uh, another uh, example could be the Home Office and the Windrush scandal. So you could look at that and go, that's, in, in, you have institutional bias. So therefore, some, you know, your policies are defining something that's institutionally biased. The structural is another layer. So if you look at COVID-19, uh, uh, Inequality amongst diverse communities, it, it, it's layered with structures. So housing inequality, air inequality, uh, access to green spaces, jo you know, uh, job inequality. So it's the layers of structures. And, 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 I, and you can look at, say, something like redlining in America, and you can look at that and go, that's structural. So that's like layers of, you know, years of years of many structures. The third thing I think is quite important is the interpersonal, uh, the microaggressions, 
uh, 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 so it's like me, and I would never say this normally, but it's like me saying to Paulette, Paulette, put some lippy on. We're going to see the CEO of Warner's. Now, that is not acceptable. We know that. And I would never say that to Paulette, but I'm just... No, making, never. Yeah, <laughs> never. Uh, but it, it, it's that microaggression. And, and we're using tech with microaggressions that we'll talk a little bit about in terms of how do we, how do we uh, have a safe space that's tech-driven uh, around the microaggression. And then the last one is the interpersonalized, you know, the, the reinforced, uh, uh, you know, it's the kind of unconscious that we may need some training on. So this, the four components of systemic uh, uh, issues are really important. And, and we've been spending quite a lot of time with a lot of different uh, boards, actually, talking about what is systems change and that's it relates to the 10 point plan there's no point in us having a 10 point plan that's tokenistic it's uh, uh it lasts one year it's got to be about the systems change and 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 that's what we've we've been doing you know root and branch approach root and branch approach of stuff that we care about and and, and we've got to make sure that it's really well organized because um you know there are other systems or there are other forces that are not necessarily wanting, uh, uh, you know, the 10-point the, the plan or a sense of diversity to be celebrated. Uh, and I say this, uh, you know, so, you know, in America, you've got the far right. And in the UK, you've got the far right. And, you know, so we, we have, we care about equality, justice, uh, equity, all the things, uh, diversity, uh, but we've got to be careful that there's other forces that perhaps don't want this thing to happen. So we have to be strategic, long-term, and, and really think about uh, how we plan this, not just in music, but in our own working lives. So one area that I think I have found we can see some progress made is when we tie diversity to the bottom line for a company. Um, have you guys done research into that in terms of contribution of black employees, contribution of black music, um, contribution of just diverse voices in general and how that actually improves companies overall? It's a really good question. We, we haven't done any metric analysis, but we're hoping that the task forces that um, are set up uh, within some of the major labels um, would be able to help us uh, and support us around that because I think we know from the big reports, the McKinsey report, you know, and we quote all these reports all the time, you know, mm -hmm. having more women around the table, uh, having diverse voices is better for the bottom line. We're also, uh, you know, we're, we're looking at the blocks. So there's a really good report by uh, the Black British uh, Association called The Middle, uh, which we've, you know, we've, we, we quite, quite regularly, it's like, what is the block in the middle? Uh, 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 so, so, uh, uh, the answer to your question is no, we haven't done the metrics analysis on the, the uh, financial value, but you know, this could be the next two years where we really look at, uh, let's, let's drill down, let's look at UK, PRC and black music. Uh, I think we, do, we definitely want to look at the middle as well. I think that's one of the things that we'd already pulled out. What is, what's the block? What's causing it specific to the UK? And I know that um, at UK Music, we've already had a few task force, not task force, we've already had some focus groups, sorry, that have been looking and answering some of those questions. And we're just going to continue to build on that and to really unpack what the issue is with regards to ethnicity, stroke, race and gender for trying to move through 
the UK music um, work system, whether it's within an organization or within your own company? How do we move from being an intern to getting to senior management level? Where is the problem? What is it? And how can we stop that and change it? And coming back to your question, Christine, because it's a really good question. I think, especially with the rise of UK grime, drill, trap, so so if you go back to the 90s, um, UK hip-hop was on par with kind of like uh, American hip-hop. So, you know, we'd have groups like Hijack and uh, uh, Supporting Public Enemy. There was a real Derek B and Ice-T. God, I'm showing my age now. Um, But uh, there was a real sense of... uh, we are British and we are equal and our music is just as good as yours. And, and for whatever reasons uh, over the years, you know, perhaps we lost our little, we lost a little bit of a thread. Now it's come back in force. I've got to say, uh, you know, uh, you got to take your hats off to UK grind, uh, or the, the, the kind of the DIY spirit, you know, the punk spirit that, you know, grind came out of. And now, you know, uh, just look at the charts, you know, grind, tra- trap, drill, all those, very UK-based genres, the artists, they're all, that's the new energy. That's where the new diversity and that's where the new models are of great business are coming out. So, you know, I think we should, you know, you've got to name some of these companies. So if you look at BBK, if you look at, you know, uh, uh, um, all the work that Stormzy and his team are doing, if you look at, you know, some of the innovation that's taking place amongst UK music industry. That's where the innovation is. And, and that's where some of the big companies should be learning. It, for, for us, it's not about size and scale. I keep saying this. It's about impact and progress. Would you say the indies, um, in terms of progress and progress being made, is there a sector in the music industry that is doing better than others? Are the indies doing better? It's publishing, chart bodies. Who's who's making some progress? Who is there an area in the industry that we can turn to and say, hey, watch the space, watch how this area is growing? I mean, I, 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 I think it's the smaller companies. I've got to say, I, th- I think that the smaller companies uh, are being able to pivot, they're being able to uh, 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 move quite quick. They're a little bit more dynamic uh, uh, because of staff and, uh, uh, and, and you know, they're in uh, the new emerging data technology scenes. Um, so I would, you know, reference those young youthful companies and, and uh, you know, even the, the, the small labels. So if you look at, say, I don't know, uh, uh, since 93, Black Butter. Um, these are incredibly uh, uh, fast-paced, uh, high-growth companies that are really, really, uh, and obviously they're connected to uh, you know, Sony, uh, uh, but they're, they're moving uh, and, and, and they're really challenging the total music industry. I don't have specific examples around publishing or managers. Do you, Paulette? Uh, I, I, no, I not from- really, but I, I think I, I would look at the independent mm-hmm. artists and what they're doing now. You know, I'm speaking to some young people that are talking to me about getting their music synchronized in Netflix shows and their music is just the right style and just the right genre. And they're just, they're on it. They're working it. I, I think there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a new vibe and a new buzz that, that's happening for me. You know, I've always been within the underground scene, the, the sort of one man band hustle, setting up your own publishing identity, setting up your own independent label. And I'm really seeing things continue to build and grow there because they have to. And especially this new generation, 
where we are now, online, social media, it's all they know. Let's move on to Twitch. Let me get onto TikTok. There are all these, these, these platforms at their fingertips, YouTube, and, and they're using it to the max. I, I'm, you know, it, it, I don't stop being amazed at some of the, the streaming figures that I see, some of the follows that some of these artists get, and the way they just galvanize and the way that they're thinking. So I think with Ammo, the, the, the independent sector, um, whether it's sort of one man, one man band or um, independent labels, for me, that seems to be an area that's really exciting. I haven't got data to give you, so it's quite anecdotal, but that, that, that feels about right. Well, speaking in that space, have you, have you come across artists, have artists talked to you guys about the reports? What has their feedback been? So even outside the labels, just artists specifically talked about how they feel in the industry, what they see when they go to their the respective boardrooms at the companies that they're working with, et cetera. I mean, the conversations I've had with uh, the artists that we engage with is they just want uh, workforce to be more reflective of modern day Britain. They want um, they want uh, uh, they want to walk into a place and look at somebody and go, uh, you you I am you I could be you you are me uh, we we come from a shared space um, whether that's culture class gender whatever uh, and I and I think most people are, are, are saying that on a regular basis uh, and and also um, we want to move up the ladder I think there's a there's a real um, energy around. Uh, we no longer want to um, uh, be uh, lower middle, uh, and and if that's if that's our block, then we'll go away and we'll make our own companies. Uh, so what you find is you find um, it, if that happens to real talented individuals, they just set their own thing up, and then they uh, they become stronger uh, uh, collectively. Um, so 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 I think that there, there is that. It, 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 there's just that connection around uh, wanting to do better. Not, you know, uh, and and also I think I, I think sometimes it's not always about being a CEO or a chair. I think for me, what I've heard is we want to be in the rooms where decisions get made, whatever those decisions are. That's the key, I think. So you can call yourself whatever. Um, you know, uh, it, it, I've always felt really weird calling myself a CEO. Uh, I, I only started it around 10 years ago. I was a director uh, for, for years. And then I realized, my God, everyone's calling themselves CEO. So I, fo I followed through. It was a really bizarre thing to do. I don't know what your, your relationship with job title is, Paulette, but it, 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 uh, and now it's just stuck. So, so I think it's about where decisions get made. Yeah, I think, I think you're right, Amo. And I think... Um... I want to be given the same opportunities as my other colleagues. Where you know whether it, you know if you're looking at a genre, for example, I, get me on. I don't just want to be on one extra. Get me on on Radio One. I want to be on Radio Six. Why can't I perform at the Royal Albert Hall? It's just wanting to to be in the same place as their as their counterparts. And I think just <laughs> equality, fairness, justice. Let's just be just about this. And I think I think. I'm hoping that we're going to see shifts there as well. I really love the idea of um, artists looking to other artists as their colleagues. So the idea that they're in the same boat as the music industry executives, where it's like, I'm looking to my left, I'm looking to my right. I might not see anyone that looks like me. That's a really interesting way to kind of um, articulate that. Um, one area I do want to make sure we talk about is um, the 
other letters and names, basically. Um, how do you feel or how have you seen Asian representation grow um, over the course of these reports? So, so the, the Asian representation um, and Asian encompassing from China to Pakistan, so it's uh, East Asian for your American colleagues, it's South Asian, uh, and then it's Southeast Asian. It's, it, it, it's been pretty consistent. So um, I think, uh, as we said earlier, uh, the, the fastest growing diversity within the diversity is dual heritage or mixed race. Uh, uh, Asian colleagues uh, have been pretty consistent. Um, anything from 22% um, uh, to sort of 35% within that diversity. So it's, it's being consistent. It, 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 it's not going away. Uh, and I think with, with the, I think with the, 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 the East Asian, the Chinese, the, the, the new music coming out of places like Japan, I think we're going to see, uh, I think the diversity within Asian, I think you're going to see a lot more East Asian rather than South Asian. There's a history to the UK as well, primarily based on the Commonwealth. So originally it was predominantly South Asian, uh, very particular parts of India and Pakistan, uh, Punjab, Gujarat and Kashmir. Now it, it's becoming far more broader and more global. And another area that I want to make sure that we touch on is, um, we briefly discussed before, but women over 35 in the music industry, um, as well as talking about parents. Um, yeah. We hear the stats about it a lot. There's, across all industries, there's a drop-off for women over the age of 35 across the world. Um, and same thing with when people start having children. Can we talk about what that has looked like um, from a data standpoint, or anecdotally what, what that has looked like, and if we're seeing improvement, where we're seeing improvement? Yeah, um, I'm just trying to flick through the report. Um, it, there, there, there's, there's a, there, there is a, there's issues around um, ho the holding ground for women, especially uh, just after thirty. Uh, and and we believe um, this is uh, this is about a policy shift rather than trying to look at women and going, well, you know, you're not, you, you, there's not representation. So this is about things like. Do we have the right systems in place to ensure that women uh, are, are protected when it comes to things like having children? Is, is there a duty of care around uh, both sides of uh, 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 the, the time period for when women become pregnant, for instance? And, and we're talking to agencies in particular, um, uh, you know, uh, who look at what are the systems that are in place to make sure that women are absolutely protected so they can, it's not their total responsibility of just being the bearers of children. Uh, it has to be a shared responsibility. And, you know, if it can't be, then we, as companies need to put systems in place, things like, uh, you know, uh, 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 care for children or transport or working from home. Uh, and, and I think what COVID has done is it's really given I think humans, the, the confidence to say, no, I can work from home and I can be just as, um, uh, just as competent, but, you know, just as we're going to be better for you, for your bottom line. And I, and I think that voice has been elevated through COVID.
It's really important. Uh, uh, so, so these are some of the conversations that are taking place. The data is the data, and it's in the report. Uh, uh, but th those are the conversations, I think. Is there anything you want to add to that, Paulette? No, I mean, you know, when looking at some of the figures, just where female representation is at the 16 to 24 bracket and where that look, what that looks like at 45 to 64. So 16 to 24, we're talking about 66.3%. And by the time we get to 45 plus, we're at 35%, dropping to 18.2% at 65 plus. And I think, I think that says it all. Why is it dropping? Why is it dropping? I mean, we start as a majority at entry level. And where it's ridiculous by the time we get down to 65, 65 plus, we need to, we need to, to fix the picture. Yeah. And, 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 and again, we, we picked that up in the 10 point plan around uh, if we don't have the right policies in place and we don't have the right culture in place, we're never going to improve it. It's really yeah. simple. So, you know, the question to me would be, do you want to improve it? Is uh, you know and 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 we have to be honest and then if we say we do then we move forward how because the, the do and the how are really important and then we and then you ask about money and strategy and all the other you know things that people like to talk about for, but for me the the, the 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 number one question is do you and how and, and and some of that stuff is picked up around making sure that we're checking up on policies and the impact that those policies have on, in particular, diverse communities, in particular women. Because we know if you look at the intersectionality of both of those layers of uh, the blocks, and Paulette, you know, you That's come me. from... <laughs> I, am that, I am that intersection. She is the intersection. No, but, you know, I can't speak on behalf of Paulette. Uh, so, uh, you know, you can talk from a complete lived experience no go for a stats experience it's just as exciting well it, 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 it's really bad <laughs> so that's it's really kind bad. of leads me so when you say that question that's a really important question when you say um do you want to make the change in the time you guys have done this report how do you feel do you feel that the industry wants to make the change do you feel like that's something that is being prioritized? Do you think it's just lip service or is there actual um, manpower and ideas and um, strategy to move things forward? I, I think a combination of all of those and I haven't quite worked out in my mind what the how, how that breaks down. If there's more lip service than there's actual movement, if there's more movement than actual lip service, I think time's going to tell. But there are people that are making system changes. There are people that I know that are talking and I can hear the wind as they speak, just rustling around, knowing that there's no foundation to what they're saying, but it, it sounds it sounds really good. Because I'm used to the sound now, so I know when it's nonsense. Um, and I can see the sincerity of people who want to bring about change, and but are going about it complete, in completely the wrong way because they just don't know how to. But I think time is really going to tell what the outcome is going to be. But overall, I would say it's positive. Overall, I'm really seeing people genuinely hands up. Oh my gosh, what can we do? Let us do this. But am I seeing anybody saying I'm going to leave my job or I'm going to do a job share? No, not quite. Have I seen the odd director step down to um, bring space on a board, probably non-paying in the first place, 
Yes. <laughs> yes, I have. So, you know, I think we got, we got, we just got to give it time. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm really, um, uh, positive around uh, the conversations that have taken place this year. Yeah. I think we, we have to give credit to the task force, uh, all, all, all the members that have really challenged everybody. Um, we've, we've come up with a plan. We've collaborated. We've not bashed people over the head with diversity. We've said diversity is better done with rather than done to. Um, we've co-designed. We've been really transparent. We've given people the time to make those changes internally the test is in a year's time christine i think we should have this podcast in a year's time and and then you can ask the hardest questions you ever want to ask around data around change because we've we we we're openly saying to you two words progress impact yeah progress, and you impact. know what emma i don't even know if it's data i think it's just looking at the, the 10 point plan and what changes we've seen against that i think that would be a good discussion how yeah. those changes have come about if they have come about and if they haven't yeah. what 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 we've seen the problems what problems we may have seen i would love to have that discussion um one thing i wanted to expand upon um Emma, you said um change is better done with rather than to um and i think that speaks to paulette's point where she said there's some people that want to make a change but they're doing it wrong um, is that concept of doing change with people um, a way to ensure that you're doing it right? How do you ensure that you're at least trying doing the right steps and making the right decisions to make that type of progress? We 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 talk about feeling uncomfortable a lot, and we talk about safe spaces to make mistakes a lot. We also talk about uh, Paulette's. Uh, issue around we haven't got the time to waste so we have to be metrics we have to be respectful so we can make mistakes we can say wrong things we can say things that perhaps we, we didn't mean to say uh, but someone's got to pick up on it and and respectfully and then move you on so it, we we come from that school of we're gonna it used to be nudge nurture it's more nudge nudge nurture so the nudge nudge is more about we've got to put a bit of pace to it and, and we have to be, so, so, so there's a nudge, nudge, nurture uh, 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 methodology that we uh, uh, tend to work with people that want change and don't want change. We're also adamant that we're not wasting our energy on people that don't want to change. We're really clear. If you don't want to change, then there's nothing we can do. If you want to listen, and, and, and then make those changes. We are, we are with you. We're going to share with you. We'll do your handholding. We'll, we'll take you through the stats, the facts, the data, the, all the reports, all that stuff. But then ultimately you have to, in your own company, work, work your own 10-point plan. But we've given you the basis to work around. So it's nudge, nudge, nurture is the thing that I think we work with. I agree. Amazing. All right. Um, the first. We're actually running out of time here, but there's so much I still want to ask. Um, one area that I want to make sure we touch on before we um, wrap up today is in a year's time, let's say we're having this conversation one year from now. What do ideally in an ideal world, what does everything look like? What does the music industry in the UK look like one year from now? It's, it looks different in the boardroom, especially within um, 
music publishing, not just within the um, collection societies or the any organisations, but um, in the in the in the companies themselves, in the publishing houses, right the way up to the top. Because if you don't have representatives in the organisations that are diverse, then you don't have anybody that reflects that on the board. So I'd, I'd like to see some difference there with my publishing. And, and, and I think, uh, sorry, Christine, what was the question again? I've got to be careful because I've got a few answers, but I want to make sure I give you the right answer. It's okay. I said, so if we're having this conversation a year from now, what would what would the music industry look like ideally one year from now in a perfect situation? What would representation look like, for example? We wouldn't want to, t- we, we don't talk about diversity. That's what it looked like. We just don't talk about it. That's your ideal world. It's, al- it's, al- it's, it's already there. We don't need to talk. We, we look around and we are reflective of modern day Britain. But that might take a hot minute. Maybe a little bit longer than a year, but as <laughs> Paulette said, we need to move quickly. So I like yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. yeah no, and, and also, it's about recognizing that if it's not working, don't stop. So I know that, you know, PRSC Music Foundation have a, a program called Women Make Music. And it was because not enough women were applying to their organization for funding. And we thought it would be there for just a couple of years. I think it's probably five, maybe six years in. And the thing is, you just got to keep at it until you actually see change and you see sustained change. So my thought is let's keep the pressure on until we see sustained change. I don't want to just see a blip and step back. I want to see that it's ongoing. Amazing. Okay. So an important question here, um, especially thinking about not doing the wrong thing or being willing to be wrong and be corrected and being open to that. How can one person actually make a difference in their company as an artist or wherever they're working in the music industry? How can they help drive this 10-point plan forward, drive diversity forward, drive the industry forward? Well, I mean, we're expecting ordinary people to make extraordinary decisions and actions. It's just, you know, you can, you, the 10-point plan is one thing, but actually it's your individual actions in your companies. If you see something that makes you feel uncomfortable, you have to call it out. And then ultimately it's legislation and policies that protect you from calling it out. It's really simple. Yeah, it's, it's definitely it's definitely in the conversation and in being brave and in being uncomfortable. Um, you have to, I think there's, there's going to be a season of just being uncomfortable. We've gone through it and I think there's a, a moment longer because we're all just kind of hopping from one foot to the other, not quite sure. And at some point we will settle. Un- until then, we just gotta, we just got to buckle down, be uncomfortable, but work towards the, the, the greater good, work towards just bringing about a visible visible, long-lasting change. When I was on here back in December, um, Jason and Rucker were mean enough to make me choose between Tupac and Biggie. Um, So I'm going to pay this forward. Um, So we're going to do a classic game of this or that. I'll say two things. Paulette and Ammo, you're going to have to make a split-second decision, all right? I'll start off easy. Number one, work in an office or work from home? Work from home. Both. Vinyl or streaming? No, Christine, no, stop. I'm not playing if he's cheating already. You said you said one word. Didn't you say no, one, one word? Other. Oh, one or the other. Oh, right. Okay. Um, oh, definitely office. Okay. Vinyl or streaming? Streaming. Streaming. 
Grime or Afrobeats? Grime. Afrobeats. Afro coffee, <laughs> coffee or tea? Tea. Labels or publishers? Publishers. Labels. Chips or crisps? Chips. Ooh. What is crisps? Crisp, uh, crisp like Walker's crisp. Oh, ooh. It's got crisp. with lots of salt. What do you mean, crisps? What's crisps. going on? You're like uh, 100 well, years uh, old already. You're, you're supposed to be on to chips by now. You're under, uh, yeah, anyway, it's not agony. Brits or Grammys? Mm, Brits. Brits. Festival or club gig? Festival. Club. Club. And of course, Tupac or Biggie? Has Biggie. to be Biggie. Biggie. I mean, I don't even do hip hop really because they, there's too much swearing and cussing. Anybody who knows me knows I can't cope with any of that at all. You know, but I, I think if I remember rightly, Biggie's flow was, was proper. Even Amazing. I got it. Yeah. Amazing. Okay, great. So I'm going to say thank you so much for chatting with us today. Um, is there a way for people to contact you guys if you if they want to stay in touch? Yeah, I mean, uh, so all the information on the report, uh, the history is on the UK Music website. So please have a peruse and uh, and then you can get hold of us through uh, Twitter or LinkedIn. LinkedIn, uh, yeah, LinkedIn. Don't, yeah, look LinkedIn. At, don't look at my Twitter account. Don't try and find me on Instagram. It's another level of bogus. I, I'm probably much better on Insta. LinkedIn. No, LinkedIn. no, LinkedIn. I'm lying. Gosh, I'm not even saying Insta. I don't think I've posted one picture on Insta like ever. Yeah, LinkedIn. This episode of How Music Charts was written and hosted by Christina Sazawa and produced by Jason Hoven and Rutger Rosenberg. Special thanks to Paulette Long and Emil Tower. Free Chartmetric accounts are available at chartmetric.com and podcast notes are at blog.chartmetric.com. You can also subscribe there for additional insights delivered to your inbox right after we publish. Follow our thoughts on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, all at Chartmetric. That's Chartmetric, no S. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys next time.